Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by the great Barry Trammell and Joe Masato today on a special episode of the Thunder Buddies, a three-man weave podcast. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited for this. I'm I'm excited to have uh, all three buddies on the Thunder Buddies pod. We Big ones today. We're, co- we're talking about a team that likes to play, that likes to say it wants to play a lot of different ways. So we got to prove we can do the same thing. Absolutely. Well, let's just get it started here because the Thunder season ended a week ago today. But I just wanted to talk about just a fun season that we had in 2022-23. Um, I wanted to know from you guys, how will you remember this season? Well, I'll remember it. I mean, overall, as as the surprise season, like the the first season where they're transitioning from, you know, two years of of rebuilding to all of a sudden skipping a few steps, not intentionally, but just organically into being, um, you know, a playing team this year. So that's how I'll remember it most on a, on a individual level. I'll remember it as Shea's superstar, uh, breakout season, because I mean, the two things go hand in hand. You're not going to have the, the play in appearance and the surprise season without Shea playing like that. Uh, but those are the two things I'll remember it for. Barry, you're a historian. Uh, you're already sitting next to the uh, fireplace right now when you have people around fireplace later how are you going to tell people to remember this season well i'm going to remember it as the uh the emergence from a very short a very short desert um you know if you look at the thunder rebuild in terms of tanking historically there wasn't a whole lot to it shut down as two years ago they shut down SGA, uh, I think it was after 43 games. Al Horford gets hurt. Shea gets nicked up. They say, you know, let's just let's just shut this down. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the Thunder was 19 and 24 when, the, when they shut it down two years ago. So that wasn't a bad basketball season up to then. Um, wasn't what we're used to, but it wasn't bad. And then we, so we basically had to, a year and a half of, you know, just sort of walking through the wilderness. But this season brought us out of it. Thunder was competitive. Thunder was playoff relevant most of the season. Got in the play-in. So, you know, we've been through the desert, and it wasn't that long of a trip. This year, to me, it felt like was the light at the end of the tunnel. And towards the end of the season, it was getting out of the tunnel and kind of realizing where are we going to go from here? And that's what's exciting about next season is we get another year of guys like Shea and his development, Josh, Chet hopefully coming back, and other guys like that. I think it's going to be very interesting. But going back to some preseason predictions, Barry, you know, which opinions did you have uh, during the preseason that you can remember the most where you were the most on the money for this year? Well, I think I, think I was probably like everybody else. I think I predicted some pretty good stuff for Santa Clara Williams. Um, I was way off on the victory total. I think I said 28. I think maybe St. Joe looked it up a few weeks ago, but, um, but I was, uh, you know, I was high on him and, uh, we've, I think all of us have always been high on SGA, but sort of like Joe didn't really see this coming. Didn't see him going to the summit first team, all NBA in all likelihood. Um, so I, just the development, the continued development of the young players. So far, we haven't been too far off the the uh, ability of, of SGA and Giddy, uh, the defensive Dort, Williams emergence, quick emergence. Um, those are all things that you know most of us saw coming. We just didn't know that it would gel this quickly into a pretty good basketball team. Joe, you want to pat yourself on the back for any uh, good predictions you had in the preseason? You know, um, I was off on on the vast majority, but I uh, I did pull up in anticipation of this podcast ten bold predictions uh, I had before the season. Oh, let's go through them. Let's go right. through them. The first one: Shea Gilgis Alexander finishes top five in scoring. That's a check. What? Oh, that's a good one. That's an ace. 
finished fourth. Um, th- these don't seem so bold um, now, but uh, Josh Giddy trails only Nikola Jokic in triple doubles. This was um, he did trail Nikola Jokic in triple doubles, but he also trailed, I think, five other players, six other players. He he tied Russell Westbrook for seventh in the NBA with four triple doubles this season. Jokic had twenty nine. Sabonis had 14 and Doncic had 10 and those were the only three in double digits so I missed that one um, won t- that's not missing that's not a bad miss thanks Barry I throwing, appreciate someone giddy on the radar is to me is like half credit Darius Baisley is the first Thunder player traded this was not all that bold um, but it was also incorrect because I think Muscala was traded an hour or two ahead of Darius Baisley, um, if I have that order correct. I was working in the UC, UCLA Student Union that day, waiting for Thunder practice, and uh, practice was end up uh, canceled because I made some roster moves and everything like that. Um, Aaron Wiggins leads the Thunder in games played. This was another incorrect one, but I feel, I feel decent about it. Uh, Aaron Wiggins played in 70 games. Josh Giddy led the team with 76 games. Um, it's not bad. It's not bad. I, I okay. mean, clearly I have more respect for Wiggins than the Thunder does. <laughs> since That's the, right. Since they, since they simply refuse to start him despite overwhelming results when they do. All right. Just rolling through these last few. This was very in the weeds. Eugene O'Marui gets a standard contract over Lindy Waters the third. He did get a standard contract before Lindy Waters, but Lindy Waters actually stuck around, and and Eugene's was more out of, uh, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for playing. Um, OKC finishes ahead of Portland. I got that one. Um, Shea plays seventy plus games. Missed that one by two. Pokashevsky leads the Thunder in blocks. He was second. If he would have played, I think that one would have came through. Thunder finishes last in three point percentage. They did not finish last. I think they were 17th. Um, and here's my last one, and it's by far my worst one. Trey Mann finishes as a top five bench scorer in the NBA. He was third on his own team in bench scoring. Um, and uh, I was fully bought in like a lot of people on the Trey Mann hype to begin the season, and that did not come to fruition. I had the same. I had a few like that where I had one correct. I found this old tweet before I even joined the Thunder Buddies, and that was J-Dub, first team All-NBA, or All-Rookie, not All-NBA. That'd be very, very bold. But the rest of them, just a lot of misses. But Barry, you uh, had something to say? Uh, well, I'm sure I was going to make some wisecrack about uh, something. But um, no, uh, I just, uh, Trey Mann probably was the day, biggest disappointment individual wise um from this thunder team in terms of guy who seemed to enter the season with a pretty solid nba future leads the season with a sort of a cloudy nba future i would say well next up we have your favorite storyline stories from the nba uh from the thunder season it could be something on the floor off the floor favorite game plays that stood out interactions with players or coaches just anything that comes to mind joe what what are you thinking of? Well, one of my favorite storylines of the whole year um, is uh, it's about my namesake, Isaiah Joe. Uh, it's a good one. I uh, just remember the first time he checks in for the Thunder, sits on the scores table, back of his jersey just says Joe. And from there, I was, I was hooked. Um, but, you know, he went from... If you guys remember, like, he, he didn't sign with the Thunder until... Basically, training camp had wrapped up. It's just before the season, so it takes them a while to get him um, incorporated. Still, you know, still trying to catch up, and then becomes one of the one of the go to stories of, of the year for the Thunder, and one I think that um, we'll remember when we look back on this team. Just the the three point boost he gave this team off the bench, and you know, at times started um, played really well with Shea. Like, was that spacer that this team really needed, and as the season went on, he went from more than just a three-point shooter to um, a pretty scrappy defender, as Sam Presti noted multiple times yesterday in his exit interview. Um, did some stuff off the dribble, so um, 
I like Isaiah Joe a lot, and that was a fun story to follow. Barry, I remember when they I, I remember when they signed Isaiah Joe in October. I think it was October already. Um, I had the immortal uh, declaration. What'd they do that for? <laughs> Don't they have enough guys? They got too many players. They're going to have to start trimming players. And then they went and signed this guy to a contract. Here's what I've discovered in 15 years of uh, covering the NBA. It's very helpful to have a team run by people that know what they're doing. So clearly somebody uh, on uh, on Oklahoma Avenue knew that Isaiah Joe could play NBA basketball. So he made a huge difference in this team. Huge. Well, didn't the Thunder add somebody from the Philadelphia organization, Joe, who was originally with um, Isaiah Joe and with the 76ers? Yeah, Vince Rosman used to work in the 76ers organization, got hired by the Thunder. So um, I definitely think that that helped out quite a bit. But uh, ju just one more thing on Isaiah Joe. It also became a really cool story that um, he and uh, Jay Will from Arkansas went to the same high school in, in Fort Smith and then both went on to play at Arkansas, not not together, but just to just have two guys from a you know, public high school in, in Fort Smith, you see teammates from IMG or um, Oak Hill or some of the big uh, kind of powerhouse hoops programs. But for both of those guys to be from down the road in Fort Smith is, is really cool. Definitely is. I know that Isaiah Joe in exit interviews said how much he enjoyed being in Oklahoma because it's very similar to Arkansas. Barry, you do not have a namesake on the team, but what are some of your favorite stories and storylines from this season? Um, I like, I think, I think for me, the season got kicked off on media day when we had a lot of fun with, with, with the rookies with the same name. That's been fun all year talking about the two Jalen Williams, but one regret I have, and I've sort of tried to get on this train at the very end. I think the two Jalen Williams have overshadowed their personalities and their personas. Uh, Santa Clara's gotten quite a bit of notoriety and publicity, and people have talked about he's sort of got a lighthearted personality when you talk to him, and he plays the game with some joy. But I don't know that we've given enough credit to Arkansas Williams. He literally has the world's greatest smile. Literal. Better than cover girls, better than movie stars. He could light up this, you know, Sacramento talks about lighting that beam, whatever that stuff is. That beam gets over. Arkansas Williams' smile could send that beam uh, going, into the, uh, going into the California desert. So this guy just makes me feel better just walking into the room, and there he is smiling. He gets run over, he smiles. He makes a three, he smiles. He gets introduced in the starting lineup, he smiles. It's one of the all-time great smiles. And let me tell you, in a world in which the NBA is so macho and guys now seem to be in a contest to see how many flagrant fouls they can get in big playoff games, Arkansas Williams is a breath of fresh air. And, oh, yeah, he's a pretty good ball player. We don't have quite the smiles on here, but Joe and I had big smiles. You were describing Jay Will there. He's a fun guy. They d uh, both definitely have fun personalities, and that's something that Sam alluded to yesterday is that you need fun guys on the team. It's a long season, right, Joe? Yeah, and um, Jay Will, the only time he stopped smiling this season is when everyone's trying to ban the charge now, and um, he uh, he knows that that would negatively impact his value. Um, but yeah, Jay, Jay Will is... He's awesome. Uh, the smile is is great, as, as Barry alluded to. J-Dub, it's like uh, you kind of have to peel back the layers of his personality. I enjoy talking to him. He, he's a pretty quirky guy. Um, got a lot of kind of unique interests. He's got his own YouTube channel, like everything like that, and um, is really accessible. So uh, I, I enjoy that part about him. We'll get to know Chet more soon. Um, but but yeah, I uh, 
I second what Barry said. We know that Chet is bad at cards, so we'll have a in-depth story of uh, Barry and Chet playing Go Fish or something at some point. Hey, speaking of smiles and and Chet Holmgren, has he does he ever smile? He's pretty he's pretty dour personality. You guys ever seen him smile? Yeah, I'm not sure we got the best of. Uh, well, I don't pretend to know Chet. I've only talked to him a few times, but. Not sure we got the best of them in, in exit interviews. Um, just seemed to be kind of a little nervous and everything like that. So so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, you would it. think a guy you would think a guy with a poker face would be good at cards. <laughs> I he just doesn't understand the cards. That's why it's a poker face. He doesn't know what's going on. But yeah, Chet mystified. Yeah, Chet had his uh, emotional support basketball there and for end of season. Uh, interviews exit interviews my favorite storyline is something that kind of came to a crescendo at the end of the season in the exit interviews as we mentioned and that's Shay's Instagram caption game that we've had the entire season and then we had a new plot line kind of develop at the end like I mentioned exit interviews starting with Trey Mann on to Aaron Wiggins and other guys who don't believe that uh, Shay is doing this alone and it has some uh outside influence on some of his uh rhymes and his Instagram captions coming from the likes of Drake you know that's uh that's an evolving saga that we're we're gonna have to follow up on because it was a cool story throughout the year. Shay, you know, didn't didn't really want to like talk about it all that much. Um, but then we get the conspiracies flying at media day or at uh, exit interview day, and unfortunately, Shay didn't get the chance to defend himself. So uh, I don't know about you guys, but my first question on w- when he comes back. Might be uh might be about Drake potentially writing these uh Instagram captions. Hey, I got a couple of questions. I've I'm seen, looking uh, forward to these. This should I, be good. Yes, I've I've seen some of the Instagram posts from Shay. Not speaking as a as a expert on the english language just on the genre in which we're talking about are they pretty good the lyrics are they pretty good they're good enough where there's been some suspicion from the thunder roster i i think they're really good like i'm i'm blown away honestly by the writing um i've never uh written a song or lyrics or anything like that nor nor do i have the ability to but i'm like man this guy He's got a pretty good grasp on this. And I think it was Wiggins who said it. It's just like, what are the odds like someone's that good at basketball and also that, you know, artistic and creative? He's like, it just doesn't make sense. And that's kind of where I fall. It's like kind of unfair if he is that good of a writer and he's that good at basketball. But um, yeah, you should uh, you should look him up, Barry. Well. Oh, I, I'll look into it. I just don't know how to fit it. I can I can judge it as an English major. I don't know how I can judge it in the in the TikTok vein in which it was uh, in which it was offered. But I will say this: NBA players certainly believe that they are multi-talented, that they are um, supreme supreme experts on. A variety of wide-ranging things, just like you know, Russell Westbrook in fashion is a good one. Heck, SGA in fashion is a good one. So the question becomes: If Westbrook and/or SGA weren't all-star type basketball players, would they get out of their garage in terms of uh, fashion distribution? Which I'm not qualified to answer that one either. I think Russell Westbrook's I, confidence he was going to wear whatever he wanted, no matter what job he had. Yeah, I uh, I think they would both be very, I don't want to say well-dressed, because that's in the eye of the beholder, but I think they would both be considered fashionable. But basketball clearly puts them on a stage where they can um, show off that hobby, interest, passion. And, and, and let me just say, let me also say something. I have really done a disservice lumping the fashion um the fashion acumen of SGA and Westbrook together um one of them is fashionable and the other one you know sort of dresses like a clown so uh, apologies to to SGA 
just like Canadian bias coming through. Absolutely. <laughs> Barry saw the the whole denim, the Canadian tuxedo in New Orleans, and he said, "That's it. That's that's the guy right there." But there's an old adage. Did you, did you guys see that? I don't I don't know how accurate it is, but that latest forgot where it was from. One of those people that ranked stuff had Shea as the fourth highest paid player in the NBA in off court in off court revenue. Yeah, I thought that was impressive. I thought that was impressive. Yeah, we saw him in the AT and T commercial. I think he's got some deal with Louis Vuitton. Um, obviously, I mean GQ was voted most fashionable man in the world, so he, he's definitely got some. Something going on there, I assume. He's also the face of Converse basketball shoes, so that probably helps. That was going to be one of my first questions whenever we first talked to him next season is, when's the signature basketball shoe coming in? Not many uh, superstars in the league, and the few that are in the NBA, they all have their own shoes, so be very, very interesting. But there is an old adage, going back to what we talked about, that all rappers want to be basketball players, all basketball players want to be rappers. You've got guys like Shaquille O'Neal with a rap record, Damian Lillard, even with the Thunder, Darius Baisley at one point had his own uh, music thing. Kevin Durant had a studio in Oklahoma City in his house. Uh, Trey Mann released a song earlier. Barry, did you ever try to release some of your own music? Uh, No. Um, I learned at an early age that was not one of my multi-talents. But... um, but I learned at a very young age I don't have multi-talents. Yeah. Power, power to those guys. Um I think I think it, I think it's good, but um I just think it's cool. We talked about this when it was happening with Westbrook 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever how long. It's pretty cool that a guy from Oklahoma City, even though he's either a blossoming or already arrived NBA superstar, it's pretty cool that a guy like that can get such international acclaim in something besides basketball. So I, I think that's very good for Oklahoma City's marketing, for the Thunder's profile, all those kinds of things. Really doesn't help you in free agency. That's what we found. But it doesn't hurt you in terms of, of just your sort of uh, your uh, Q rating within the NBA circles. So I think – I think Shea's off-court success is a very good thing. It's pretty incredible, Joe, that um, the Thunder in Oklahoma City has been one of the fashion capitals of the NBA since they got a team with guys like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Chris Paul, uh, Serge Ibaka, who says he doesn't do fashion, he does art. Steven Adams kind of lowers the average um, Q rating (laughs) for a lot of the fashion. Then you have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, you have Lou Dort, Josh Giddy will come into post games in a full uh green neon jumpsuit we've got uh, j-dubs not afraid to go out there you have any opinion on the uh the fashion status of oklahoma city and the thunder well they they're really overcoming the obstacle of living in oklahoma city because i i know they're not going to you know pin square or coil springs to to get something off the rack so not uh not quite los angeles or new york to find some uh fancy clothes but and, and by the way done. Michael, congrats to you for dropping the name of the best-dressed man to ever adorn an NBA basketball court, and that is Sir Serge Abaka. Old Serge blew away Russ night after night after night after night when it came to uh, to looking sharp and setting the styles. I mean, you can't even but, like compare the two styles, though. I mean, you one cannot. Is... That's because one <laughs> is supreme, and the other one is just. Uh, throwing paint on a on a wall and saying, "Look what I did." Definitely more of a Jackson Pollock vibe from Russell Westbrook, whereas a uh, Serge is a little bit more buttoned up, and he's not afraid to wear anything. He'll wear like a wooden hat or something. Oh, I miss Carmelo. Carmelo is another one of the fashion guys. Carmelo was good. You're right. Carmelo was. Did you good. mention Gallinari? I did not. Danilo. He would always, he, he would always wear a. Uh, a uh, turtleneck sweater under like a blazer or something. And he just had like the, the best posture of any human I've ever seen and would just always look like a movie villain. <laughs> I think it starts down uh, with the top down from Sam, who has some of his like designer sunglasses and just regular glasses that he wears into the arena and things. But 
we need to see something from Mark. We need to see him expand his uh, wardrobe because I think I think most people would expect that Mark just wears whatever he wears to games just outside of the games too. I feel like that's very on brand for I him. I would guess that's correct. If you want to see something new from Mark, um, maybe you'll see a new pair of sweats next year. Yeah, whatever the team gives him. That's how he gets new clothes. But let's move on to the biggest surprise of the season. Um, it could be a player's breakout. It could be Mark's coaching, postseason experience, or anything else that you didn't expect to happen. Barry, what was the biggest surprise of the season for you? Oh, um, I guess I would go with Isaiah Joe. We've talked about it before, but I don't know that we've talked about how valuable he quickly became and is talk about just free money falling on top of your head. You know, St. Joe talked about, he picked uh, the thunder to be the worst shooting team, three point shooting team in the NBA. They ended up middle of the pack. And that's really because I just say Joe showed up and started making shots. He was among the league leaders. Most of the year he finishes, I don't know where he finished, but above 40% on 30 on three pointers. He stretched the floor. He became an instrumental part of this team. Um, a lot of guys got some confidence. The whole, you know, everybody seemed to shoot better. Um, and just the idea that the Thunder had sort of a marksman that could come off changed the complete, the complete uh, landscape of this offense. And when you've got a when you got a five out offense, when they played Robinson Earl or Poku or Arkansas Williams at center. You know, ever Muscala, almost everybody. You know, they're playing five out, opening the driving lanes for SGA and Giddy and Dort and Santa Clara, whoever. And that doesn't mean they're always going to get to the rim. It means often the defenses are going to collapse, leaving open guys. And in the past, the Thunder really hasn't had shooting to take advantage of it. This season they did. It was transformative. It was basically a free player a valuable, valuable player. And what I liked about Isaiah Joe was not just he's making three-pointers. He kept surprising us with how well he played in other areas. The longer the season went on, the more forceful of a driver he was. Um, he became, Sam Presti mentioned it yesterday, Isaiah Joe's actually pretty physical. He'd grab a rebound or two. He'd take a charge. He'd get in there and scrap. So he's a well-rounded player who happens to shoot remarkably well. And he literally was not even on the radar until the season was about to launch and, and Philadelphia cut him and gave the Thunder a great gift. Joe, are you also going with your namesake or do you have something different? If, or do you want to elaborate on Isaiah Joe first? I'll, uh, I'll say one more thing. Maybe the most, uh, the friendliest guy too uh, on the team. So I appreciate Is he that. really? Yeah, I'd agree with uh, that. So, and then and so you're telling me that the two most I mean, I assume you can throw Arkansas in there, too. He he would be in contention. I got to say, this is like. This is like great marketing for the city of Fort Smith. <laughs> I mean, Fort two, Smith guys needed Fort, two guys from Fort Smith all actually are also Prince of Fellows that, you know, everybody wants to be around. He makes everybody feel better. I mean, that's good. That's good marketing for a city that's, I mean, I, I assume you guys know that you can walk from downtown Fort Smith into Oklahoma on your lunch hour and, and still have time to eat. It's like six blocks from the state line. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's marketing gold for the great city of Fort Smith. We definitely need Joe on a billboard over there. You and Isaiah Joe uh, talking about from going from Fort Smith to the NBA. Yeah, maybe I'll see if like the Chamber of Commerce has any positions open or something in, in Fort Smith. Um, my surprises, I will go with one of the Jalen Williamses, and I'll go with the other Jalen Williams as well. Both of those two guys were big surprises to me. Um, that I, I I understand like you know J Dub had a lot of hype going into the season. Michael, you were all over it, picking him to to be first team All Rookie. I wasn't there just because I didn't know what to expect. Um, but for him to be you know, as efficient as he was, as plug and play as he was, um, as a rookie, could definitely tell he was a guy that spent a few years in college, was mature, had some experience, but 
he just totally took off and, and looks like a just a potential star. I, I don't know about you guys, but just the way that Sam talked about him yesterday. Um, I mean, everyone knows this guy has the potential to be special, but I thought that kind of came through in Sam's voice. And then with Jay Will, completely different path, but, you know, a second round pick, he he comes in early and, you know, I'm already thinking to myself, like, I wonder what they saw in him. Like, I, I don't I don't really see it. Um, doesn't have a lot of size um, for his position. Um, and then slowly but surely, he becomes a, a full-time starter and is starting games down the stretch and and playing quite well. Obviously, the, the three-point shooting from him was a big surprise. Um, him leading the NBA in charges despite playing in like 49 games um, was one of the coolest stories to, to follow. I'd never heard of the term like ground bound rim protection before this season, but that's exactly what he does. Um, waits on people to to run him over instead of meeting them at the rim. So both of those guys were pleasant surprises. I'll go with uh, Josh Giddey's improved shooting. I think we all um, expected an uptick just coming into year two and with the adage of Chip England, but he goes from shooting 26% from three to 32.5% this year. He raised his three-point total makes from 56 to 76. And it's not just the three-point line because he's improved at the free-throw line and his overall just efficiency from the field. I've been really impressed with Josh, and he talked about it at exit interviews, that it has been uh, less than easy. It's been a very long process, but he stuck with it, and it looks like he's now getting to see the uh, results of things. Barry, what have you seen from Josh this year? Were you surprised at all with his uh, added shooting? Yeah, I thought I was hopeful. I wasn't. I didn't know if he would improve much at all, but I was hopeful he would. I didn't know it'd be as good as it was. I think he went up six percentage points. Is that right, or was it eight? Was he twenty-five or twenty-seven last year? Um, let me find it here. I just had it, but uh, he's up at thirty-three, which is still not very good, but certainly a, a big boost from last year. He's either twenty-five or twenty-seven. At uh, twenty-six um, to thirty-two. But twenty-six to thirty-two. Okay, so six point percentage jump i don't expect him to make another jump like that but if he can make half that let me tell you josh giddy at 35 percent three-point shooting is an offensive force because he can do so many things with passing he can do so many things with with penetrating and and finishing at the rim he's a load already you know um, somebody inside the thunder organization told me the other day that they thought Josh Giddy is underrated in Oklahoma City. People don't realize how special he is. The age of 20 to do what he's doing through two NBA seasons. And we saw it in that New Orleans game where he just had the monster game, uh, 31 points, I think it was. So um, 11 to 22 shooting. So uh, he's, he's, headed, he's headed for great things in his career. Yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on Josh Giddy, no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I still think he's, I mean, I think he's probably the most underrated player um, on this team. I mean, different play styles. He's not this guy, but just for context, Shea's second season in the NBA, 19 points, 5.9 rebounds, 3.3 assists. Um, Josh was at 16.6 points, 7.9 rebounds, 6.2 assists. Um, Three-point shooting was similar. Shea beat him by two percentage points. Um, but Josh this year shot 48%. Shea's second season, he shot 47%. Um, and Josh was better from zero to three feet this season than Shea was in his second season. So, um, yeah, we're we're just seeing the beginnings, I think, with Giddy. Age is just a number, like Sam said yesterday. But he's continued to take leaps. I mean, he's going to be younger than like the uh, the Thompson twins who are going to be in the draft this year. So still a lot of room to grow for Josh. And then going back to what Joe said about J-Dub, that has been a huge surprise, a very welcome surprise to have a guy who you drafted 12 who's now looking like the second best rookie in his class. I thought that maybe he'd be first team all rookie, but just the efficiency and his effectiveness because he's just like gone from, and Sam mentioned it yesterday, 15 minutes a game probably early in the season to 30 minutes a game and just being real um, staple of those Thunder lineups, especially when they go small, Barry. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, the, the small ball element, I don't even think we've talked about that today yet. The Thunder went 
really small most of the year and at times incredibly small when Kenrich Williams was healthy. And Sam talked about that yesterday. And we look at the playoffs and everybody's doing that. And, you know, the Clippers went a long time last night in the playoffs playing four guards and Covington, I think it was. But anyway, uh, Sam said something interesting, which is when the Thunder went small, almost everybody tried to match up with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people ask me all the time, why do you do that? Why don't, don't you just stay big? The Timberwolves do it because they, they don't have any other options. They're built around two big guys. But um, the Thunder really got a new, I don't know, it's not a new identity, but, you know, for so long they were a team that had Steven Adams, and Steven was so instrumental to success that didn't really want to play without him. And um, But in here with this new age of Thunder guys where they got a bunch of six, 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 seven, six, eight, you know, uh, guys that do a whole lot of different things and, and uh, can do, can do so many things. Well, it appears that OKC is on the cutting edge of this, uh, this NBA trend. Can they take advantage of it? Well, a lot of things got to help. You got to have a lot of shooting. You got to have guys that can rebound. You got to figure out a way to, you know, you can't have Arkansas Williams taking a charge on every possession. You just won't blow the whistle that often. So something's something's got to, you know, got to help on the in the uh, in the post. It's the way the league's going. It certainly seems like the Thunder is well situated to to take advantage of this. Maybe more so than most teams. Yeah, th- this is why I keep pushing back on the, you know, point that. The Thunder's got to add more size. They've got to add a big man. I just, you know, Sam kind of reinforced that yesterday. They're at their best when they play small, and they force other teams to play small. So if you're taking their big man off the court, why do you need a big man on the court? And also, Chet Holmgren is that guy that we've we've been talking about, a potential floor spacer offensively, uh, pick-and-roll partner with those guards, pick-and-pop partner, and then defensively, um, figures to be an elite rim protector. So... You know, if you want to add more size for depth, I understand that. Um, but like, you know, I've heard people talk about, oh man, what if the Thunder had uh, Jonas Valanciunas or Point Capella? And it's like, okay, add one of those guys on on this team before you even know what Chet Holmgren is going to be. And then that also means, are you not starting Chet? Are you not starting J Dub? Are you not starting Dort? Um, I'm pretty sure you're going to start Gideon SGA. All five of those guys can't start if you add like a, a a big like that. So I just think those guys are easy to find. And, you know, the whole league is moving small. And I think we're focused a little too much on that Minnesota game because clearly that that's a failed experiment. No one else is doing that. And I think no one else is doing that for good reason. Um, but there's not a there's not a matchup that accentuates showcases lack of size quite like that Minnesota game is, but that's just not like a team. The Thunder is not building their team to, to go against the Timberwolves. I mean, that's a, it's kind of a non-factor. Yeah. They're going to be, let me, let me ask you guys, let me ask you guys something. Clearly. It was a bummer that Chet Holmgren was gone this year, had to sit out in some ways it impeded the Thunder development because it delays the knowledge of what they have and and how they can implement their young players around Chet or Chet around the young players, whatever. But they also found out a lot about themselves this year, playing the way they played. You think in some ways it was a blessing in disguise, a silver lining that there was no Chet Holmgren this season, or would you all in all rather have had Chet and, and, and got about the business of, of seeing what you had. I think there's definitely some silver linings with um, like the Kendrick to the five lineup that was really accentuated this year. It's been done in the past, but not necessarily to this effect. And part of why it was more effective is because J-Dub was also there at the four. And some of those lineups, I'm just not sure how many minutes get played if Chet is on the roster because or not Chet is on the roster, but he's in uniform playing because you're still going to need looks at the five at guys like Jay will and jerry and others and it probably just lessens that even more 
But yeah, I think there are definitely things. I mean, Josh got to play a lot more in bigger spots too. Joe, would you agree with that? Yeah. And, you know, I think when we're, we think about positions, you think about positions on two ends of the floor. Like I think Josh oftentimes is going to be like a, what you would think of as a power forward defensively or, you know, guarding a guy that's just going to stand in the corner and not beat you off the dribble. So, um, but, but to Barry's question, I think there are some silver linings. Michael, you nailed it. Like maybe they found that, that Kenrich lineup that they might not otherwise have gone to as much with, with Kenrich at the five, you know, Jay will probably doesn't have the season he does, but you don't trade like Jay wills season for, for not having Chet. Obviously Chet would have filled that spot and presumably helped them even more. So um, I think there's some positives, but like the the way they played this year, I think they can continue playing that way, but but with Chet at the five instead of Jay Will. Barry, you What's think they're impre- more silver what, linings? What, what are you guys what are you guys' impression of how mobile Chet is, like on perimeter defense, switching? I'm going back to the summer to the summer league when we got to see him some. He looked like he might handle himself okay out there. You think you think he's gonna be okay with um with switching out on the perimeter i uh joe you want to answer this first yeah i mean it's a it's a big question um you know like our you know when it gets to to current crunch time our guards going to try to get um a switch on to him to switch onto them i don't know i mean People a lot smarter than me who follow the draft seem to be pretty bullish on his ability um, and quickness and athleticism to switch onto quicker guards. Also, he just has such incredible length that even if he gets beat, um, he he can still you know try to block the shot from behind or or still contest in that way. Um, also, I I just think you know primarily he's going to play a lot of drop coverage and, and just be a force at the rim that they haven't really had. Yeah, he just has some. just different shot blocking intangibles that you just can't teach. And Joe mentioned his length. I think that's going to be the best thing going for him guarding out on the perimeter. He's not Evan Mobley where he can just kind of stick with guys, but he's, um, he's not too far off. Not like just unbearably where it's like a drop off of, uh, Evan Mobley to Ennis Cantor or something like that. Like Chet can move his hips and I think he'll be fine. We're still going to need to see him after injury, but I don't, really have any giant fears of just him getting isolated out in the perimeter and getting played off the floor. I mean, they're going to be guys who give him trouble, just like there are all guys around the league. I mean, no one's guarding Steph Curry unless you're Lou Dort on the Thunder roster, probably. But I am also bullish on Chet's ability to stay with guys on the perimeter. Barry, what have you seen since you've looked back at some of that summer league tape? Yeah, I just, you know, he looks like he can handle himself pretty good. Um the instincts that Joe talked about on the rim protection, that's going to be fantastic. Does he have perimeter instincts? And the reason I ask that, you know, if you're 7'1 with a big wingspan, you know, you don't have to get right up on guys to bother their shot or, or maybe uh, block the passing lanes. You know, if you're worried about a guy going behind, by you on the drive, you, you know, take a step or two back. And your reach makes up for the for the step back that you might have taken. So learning those nuances, those subtleties, you know, if, if he's got those kinds of instincts on the perimeter that he clearly has on the interior with the shot blocking, then he could be a, a big time defender out there. And um, you know, his shot looked natural. It looked like the shot was going to be no problem at all. And of course, I assume he's done nothing but shoot for the last eight months. He hadn't had, been able to do much else. So uh, the Thunder offense should be in pretty good shape. And, of course, the Thunder with with Jalen Williams, Arkansas Williams, throwing up 40% three-point shooting, too. We got a sneak preview of the Thunder big man, as big as as he might be, um, being able to to nail the three-pointer and and spread the floor and go five out. So in some ways, it was still an instrumental – instructive season playing you know Chet Holmgren and Arkansas Williams are nothing alike as players but the one thing they do is make shots from outside 
And the Thunder got a good dose of that and saw what life is like with that kind of player. Yeah, and like Mike Mascala was an ideal partner for Shea. We saw how successful that was. Sam mentioned it yesterday, but Al Horford was that guy um, with, with Shea as well. Horford, his first year in Oklahoma City, he took more threes than he... He, he was on pace to to take more threes than he had at any point in his career. So um, I, I think that's, you know, clearly how they want to play. Also, you don't want you don't want big guys clogging up the, the paint when you've got the league's premier driver. Um, and J-Dub also likes to get in the paint. Giddy likes to get in the paint. You don't want to clog things up, um, but you do want guys kind of sp- spreading the floor, especially your five man. Yeah, and Chet is just so special with his skill set that he's not just going to be a standstill shooter, even like Muscala. He can do a lot of things off the dribble. I mean, we've all seen the tape of him in summer league and going back earlier. I think there's a lot more to Chet's game than just being a spot-up shooter or even just being a guy who can roll the rim. I think he has some great ball handling skill for his size, and he can really pass the ball for a guy at his position. I think that he's going to open up so many things that a lot of Thunder fans aren't even ready for next season. Yeah, j- just to temper the talk a little bit, though, and, you know, contradict myself, we're talking about, like, the theoretical Chet yes. and what we expect him to be. I have no clue what he's actually going to to look like in an NBA game, how he's going to respond to uh, kind of shaking off the rust of, of missing a, a season. I expect he's going to be just fine, but, um, you know, you, you never know, and we won't even know at the end of next season um but uh yeah we're all we can do is operate now based on past assumptions it's a good point um i don't think it's going to be necessarily consistent from him but you're definitely going to see some of those flashes of why he was such a highly ranked prospect and a top pick barry what do you remember about chet from earlier days before he was with the thunder of uh, just watching him well i uh I have to say I'm not the keenest eye when it comes to college basketball talent because I get too caught up in the uniforms. Gonzaga played Arkansas in the 22 NCAA tournament, right? Well, that's two former Thunders, the two guys we've been talking about, Chet and Arkansas Williams, going head-to-head. And I didn't even really know that Arkansas Williams existed, meaning – if I knew his name, it didn't register on my brain. I was just too busy hoping Gonzaga beat Arkansas. Um, but I do remember that in that NCAA tournament, Holmgren continually got whistled for cheap fouls, which is another reason why guys probably want to get the heck out of college and get to the NBA. Um, but he intrigued me because of his skill, his ball skills, or that of a guy much shorter. We don't see a lot of seven-one guys, especially shot blockers. We don't see that much. Um, so he's he's clearly a unique talent. And what I think this Thunder season has done with the emergence of SGA as a as a Nova star, as Giddy is clearly headed on the fast track to something special with Santa Clara Williams showing what he can do. It's almost like the Thunder doesn't have to have Chet Holmgren be a home run. If he can be a double or a triple, if he can Mm -hmm. be a really good player and do the things they need him to do, like make threes and block shots, if he can just do that, the Thunder's future is pretty bright. So I – in other words, I guess that the ceiling hasn't risen, hasn't changed for, um, you know, the hope hasn't changed for Holmgren, but but it's it's almost like the Thunder doesn't have to have it be, you know, sky's the limit type guy. Mm-hmm. And to me, it takes a little pressure off of it. I guess maybe that's what I come away with. This Thunder season took some pressure off Chet Holmgren. Yeah, like – the floor is a lot higher and you know, Chet, Chet will certainly raise the ceiling if, if he is what we think he can be. But yeah, Barry, you, you nailed it. Like, I, I don't think he's going to have that. I mean, he might have it internally, but I don't think it should be there externally because you know what, if he's a, uh, if he's still a really, really good player, but maybe not quite a number two pick player, 
well, you just got a player at number 12 that's far better than a normal number 12 player. So uh, that kind of stuff can can offset. Let's take a minute here for me to offer counseling services to Thunder fans. Once the draft is over, there's no reason to harp on where guys were picked. They were picked where they picked, and it really doesn't matter anymore. It's a non-controllable, and it it's the only thing you could the only thing you could ever use it for is to judge Sam Presti. And he's a long way from being needing to be judged. You just said it, St. Joe. If Holmgren turns out to be just okay or just solid or whatever, well, what's the difference? He's the 12 pick. Make Santa Clara the two pick in your mind. Yeah. The question is not hitting home runs in the draft. It's it's taking the guys you draft and making them good players or great players, valuable players, and the Thunder's ahead of that game. So I would like to see people not judge Chet Holmgren as the number two pick in the draft. Judge him as a really skilled big man with great defensive instincts, and the Thunder needs him to make threes and block shots. And if he does that, hey, off and run into success. That's the way Chet Holmgren needs to be judged. Yeah, I remember the New York Times piece that Chet talked in. He had great perspective because he said, I don't have to come in and just turn things around. I just have to make like the teams losing by single digits on a lot of nights. I just have to make them four points better. That's it. And I thought that was great perspective from a guy at his age to be able to recognize. I don't have to come in and just flip the game, and become a, the franchise player and become the guy and supersede Shea. I just have to support them in whatever ways they need, whether that be shot, uh, shot blocking, making some threes off the catch or other things like that. Yeah. And it's a rare spot because a lot of number two picks need to be that guy. I mean, could be at the start of a rebuild where he does have to be the savior or else it's going to be delayed by a year. But, you know, I don't know what it'll be next year, but even down the road, there's a chance he's their fourth best player because Shay and J-Dub and Giddy are that good. Maybe I mean, if uh, if Chet's your best player out of all those guys, then um, perhaps someone does need to to start planning the parade route. But um, even if he's not, then, you know, they're going to be in good shape. Absolutely. Um, last thing here, as we've gotten into some more future things, wanted to know your guys' way too early expectations for next season. This doesn't have to be a prediction. It's more about just goals that you'd like to see from the team maybe it's a certain player front office mark or anything that you'd just like to see them achieve going into next year well i would like them not to um add jalen williams from auburn and 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 i'm i'm different than barry i'll I'll, I'll let you speak here but why why would you want to add this chaos to our lives because i believe in fun saint joe i believe in having a good time (laughs) have we not had enough times with two I believe in life being a uh, kaleidoscope of injury. Um, perhaps instead they'll go hire, go go draft somebody named James Smith, and we can all just relax and say, "Oh, they they got a good guy named James." I, Smith. I know, I know why you want them to draft Jalen Williams from Auburn, and that is because there will be no other option but to call them by where they went to college. Oh, oh no, no You're- chance! They'll come up with something silly. <laughs> They'll they'll come up with something. Uh, let's see, Will Dub. Um, they'll they'll come up with some sort of some sort of a grammatical reference there that nobody can uh, can lodge in their brain. Um, You're just gonna call the guy Auburn. I'm just gonna call him Auburn. It's ready made. It's automatic. <laughs> now, now here's what would torpedo my my uh, theory. My uh, my plan is if uh, if they were to go higher, if they'd go draft. Uh, another guy named Jay Will- Jalen Williams from Arkansas. If you ever get the same name, same school, well then I'm screwed. But um, but no, I uh, you know when I look at what I want the Thunder to do next season, I I'm trying to think of who may who might. I don't think Trey Mann fits this plan. Poku might. Poku, we hadn't even talked about Poku. He's interesting. You know, I did think the Thunder whiffed on a player this year. And maybe it wasn't the Thunder's fault. Maybe it was the players. But, you know, Darius Baisley's an interesting player. 
He shot 40% from three-point range. And he can, he can guard multiple positions, including out on the perimeter. And sometimes it wasn't on pick-and-roll situations. Sometimes they assigned him to people like Damian Lillard just because they thought it was their best chance. And he's a very good shot blocker. Now, as you have said many times, St. Joe, he also, when he caught the ball, he sometimes acted like he was holding, you know, a heart transplant something. And, you know, it's his, it's his duty to protect it and not let anybody around it sit there and hold the ball for eight seconds. Um, so they never got him in the flow of the offense. And that clearly was, you know, you couldn't stand that, couldn't live with that. But, man, a player with that kind of skill set, I would have liked to have seen the Thunder get through to him and get him to play the way they needed him to. And that's sort of the way, you know, if there's anybody else that comes through like that, I'd hate to see him. They do such a good job with development. Maybe, you know, you just can't, you can't get everybody. But, you know, whether it's Poku, whether it's, uh, you know, whoever, Wiggins, I don't, I don't know, whoever it is, I'd like to see him not whiff on a guy and just trying to get through to him to play the right way. Maybe, maybe that's all. Maybe that's all his fault and not the Thunder's. But I think Baisley was a guy that could have really helped a lot of people. And um, I don't know if he'll have a future in the NBA, but he does a couple of things really well. I I, I didn't know Darius Baisley's name was going to get brought up today, but I'm I'm glad it did. I, I mean, listen, there Darius Baisley's got some some skills that I think could keep him around in the NBA. The versatility on defense, um, like you just don't see a lot of guys blocking shots on the perimeter like he can do. I mean, he's just like crazy athletic, but just could not be a worse fit offensively for, for Baisley trying to fit into what the Thunder wants to do. And, you know, Baisley played in 228 games, um, 221 games with the Thunder start started 119 of them. I imagine they tried to get through at some point um, and then just must've realized that, Hey, this guy's going to be a restricted free agent. Probably not long-term here. Might as well get, you know, Dario Saric and a second round pick for him. So I, I think that's the, the Darius Baisley story for, for next year. Um, I think Usman Jang is probably the most intriguing guy that uh, I'll really be watching because we, we just talked about J-Dub and Chet and there was a guy drafted in between them that plays on this team. And that's Usman Jang. Um, clearly on a different developmental path than J-Dub, a few years younger. Um, and not only that, but coming over from France and having played professionally in Australia, um, that's a that's a huge change for a, for a 19-year-old. I think we saw some flashes. I think he's far ahead of where Poku was at this time um, at, at 19 years old. So... You know, Jang Jang might be able to to be a piece. He's just, I don't know if it's going to be next year. Um, but um, the Thunder talks about overlapping prime, so he he's got a little while to to figure that out. I love Jang. I love Jang. I don't know if he can play. I don't know if he can play for the. I don't know if he will play for the Thunder. But I think he can play in the NBA. Well, he's very like thundery. Very I like thundery. what Sam said about him. Uh, in his uh, interview this week, in his exit interview, you know, Sam said, basically, he said he knows how he, he's got instinct for the game. He knows where the ball is supposed to go. And maybe that's Baisley's fault. Maybe Baisley, it's not that Baisley wouldn't let go of the ball. He just didn't know what to do with it. And Zhang knows where the ball is supposed to go. And he was a way better shooter than we were led to believe. Um, you know, old Zhang, he shot, uh, you know, we made, 26.5% of his threes, but he got a lot of bet. He got a lot better as that season went on. I think his future is, is pretty high. Yeah. Good defensively too. At least he projects to be. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Love me some Usman Jang coming over at only 19 and you can just see that he knows what he was doing, but you can see the age on him of just being a little bit trepidatious playing with some of these other guys, even though they're only a couple of years older than him, but you can tell he looks like the kind of the new kid in school trying to fit in a little bit still. Just, um, I, I know I mentioned Jang there, but 
big picture wise, what I'm looking for or what I'm intrigued most about next season. So this year, we, we can all agree they're a year ahead of schedule. They, or maybe multiple years, they're they they were fifteenth in net rating. Um, so so finished with a positive point differential, right middle of the pack in the NBA, two games under five hundred. I'm not saying that they're not going to continue being a, a year ahead of schedule. I'm just interested to see kind of how the fan base reacts to like, I don't know what my preseason prediction is going to be, but it's not going to be too far off where they finish this year. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll reverse the numbers and say 42 and 40. Um, and I, I think they could still, you know, be a better team, but this was a really, really weird year. Um, in the West, uh, the Thunder stayed remarkably healthy compared to a lot of other teams. Um, Chet Holmgren, we we assume he's going to come in and and be great, but it might take a while to work in a guy like that. So, um, I, I'm I'm just I'm just kind of interested. I, I think the Thunder, we, we all know, like fans here have been a little spoiled or a lot spoiled with um, the first decade of success and um, having MVPs rolling through your left and right. Um, I, I, I'm just interested to see how they respond if like, you know, if people think this is going to be like a 50 win team and heck, maybe they will be, maybe I'm just continuing to, to undersell them. But if they're not, I just am uh, curious to see what that's like. Let me ask you a question. Um, my friend over at the animal Gideon Hamilton has been chatting for months. This, this thunder season's a little abnormal or a lot because they were so fortunate in opponents' uh, availability in terms of marquee players. And he says that had a huge effect on the Thunder record. Do you guys buy that? This is ta- He's talking about, uh, you know, want first or second option type players being injured or held out of games against the Thunder. I'd actually not, have to see the yeah. names, but it feels like that's a league thing. Joe, do you agree with that? Yeah, and, you know, I, I love listening to, to to Gideon's analysis, and I know he did the the homework on this, so I so I assume he's correct. But I just I just don't think that's that big of a deal. I mean, guys are guys are missing games left and right. I think there's also a misnomer that I hear some people think, okay, now now they're going to take the Thunder seriously. Now when they play the Mavericks, like Luca's not going to sit out, or Anthony Davis isn't going to sit out, or who Embiid, whoever it may be. That's not how it works. Like these teams have scheduled days off. They're not looking at the calendar. Oh, this is a weak opponent. We're going to rest our main guy. That's just, uh, that doesn't happen. So if people think it's going to get harder um, for that reason next year, I don't think it's going to be. But who who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe I am downplaying, you know, them missing certain stars on certain nights, but. I'm with Michael, just like anecdotally, it seems like that that happens every night in the NBA in the regular season. I mean, Kawhi sat out a playoff game last night with an injury. That's right. There's crazy (laughs) stuff going on all the time. And then to what Joe talked about, I think that's one of my goals or questions for next season is how differently is the scouting and the preparation for teams around the Thunder? Because... Yeah, teams don't go on just like we're going to rest all our guys. But that has been said in the past. It's like, you know, we didn't come ready. We thought they weren't a team that would kind of roll over like that when they beat the Bucks a few years ago, they beat the Celtics this year and teams just didn't come in ready to play. I'm excited to see how teams prepare differently for the Thunder and how the Thunder operate differently under some um, different expectations. I don't think they're going to do anything where it's like, well, now we have to get home court. But I think expectations are a little bit different just because of the success they had this season. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I tend to think, you know, two things. A lot, a lot of good things happen for the Thunder, and those things have tend to balance out over the course of multiple years. But you know, the Thunder's, the Thunder's uh, point differential was very solid. They actually had a worse record than they were supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Using the the best metric in the NBA for projecting one loss record, which is point differential. So using that, I think the Thunder is on a pretty good trajectory. But 
the truth of the matter is, until further notice, the West is not loaded so much as its incredible parity. And, you know, 44, 45 wins eight years ago was not that many. Uh, not that long ago, we had a 50-win team not make the playoffs in the West. And those days are gone until further notice. So I think I think Thunder could be better and and still have a record, you know, low 40s in win total. So I think you're on the right track, St. Joe, when you say, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna project a, a huge jump for the Thunder in the in the one loss ledger. Yeah, also if the West stays like this, 45 wins this year was the four seed. The Suns won yeah. 45 games. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Should be interesting. We're going to have a lot of off-season talk and different storylines with the draft, free agency, and more. But before we get out of here, uh, Barry, I wanted to ask you first, and then Joe, what are you guys working on that you can plug on the pod? Well, I've got a Sam Presti piece I'll be posting later today just about how why he believes, despite some clock issues, some some ticking clock when it comes to draft picks, that are going to have to be used five in the next 14 months, first round draft picks and uh, whatever salary cap space they might have is going to be used up in two years. And then they're going to have to go into the tax. He's still not in a big hurry and why he's going to stay the course on, on, um, on this rebuild and, and, and no shortcuts. And also I've started, I started Wednesday. I got my, uh, Daily, uh, my daily uh, item on uh, Thunder report cards for each individual player. Had Shea on Wednesday, Arkansas Williams yesterday, and today is will be Jeremiah Robinson Earl, whose name we barely mentioned in this pod. I think that was the first time we mentioned it. Um, Check out those report cards. They're they're a must read. I I thoroughly enjoy them. The, this time of year, I will have um, I think a Lou Dort story on Sunday. Just kind of what uh, what Sam said about him and and his defense and his defensive reputation around the league, and also Dort kind of uh, you know being pretty reflective on you know a lot of people judge his shot selection and criticize how he finishes around the rim and thinks like, does this guy not even realize it? And Lou Dort realizes it, um, which he said in his exit interview. So I'm going to write about that. Uh, we got takeaways from uh, Presti's press-a-thon last night, uh, yesterday morning, whenever that was. Uh, that's That's on the site. So plenty more coming out of that as well. Joe, you need to go get a nap. I know it's been a marathon for you the last couple of weeks. I'm feeling good. You know, we, uh, what are we about? Not even a month away from the lottery. Is that right? I think so. It's around there. So we're just 17th, beginning. Isn't that what you said? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe 17th. 17th. But yeah, just, um, yeah, things are, things are finally slowing down a little bit. Slowing down just to start right back up in a little, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of time. But, uh, we'll have our own version of grades. It's not plagiarism. It's just paraphrasing between, uh, Joe and I talking about our grades and then what Barry has. We're definitely not copying any of that, but we'll have. I'm just uh, going to rip Barry's off. Absolutely. Read it word for word, but we'll have uh, Barry on to discuss some of those grades. We'll have Joe on. We'll have a variety of other guests, but we've got a lot of fun stuff coming in the off season. But thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies. This was a fun three man weave edition of the Thunder Buddies. We'll have to do it again sometime. Thank you both for coming on. And thank you again for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we are the Thunder Buddies. Follow us at ThunderBudPod on Twitter. And we'll be back again for more Thunder coverage on Tuesday. Tuesday.